This is the Bike Snob of New York City, and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM 104.4. One of the things that I love about being out on my bike is the way that it makes my mind wander. I find myself thinking about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes they're mundane, practical thoughts. What's over the next hill? How long will it take to get where I'm going? Am I late? Is that a slow puncture or am I just getting tired? Sometimes my thoughts wander further. What are the names of those flowers in the hedgerow? Why do swallows fly all the way from Africa just to spend a few months in the British summer? And how do they remember the way? Those clouds in the distance, what made them into that strange shape? Sometimes things get really philosophical. Why does going for a bike ride make me feel so happy? What is happiness? What would my life be like if I couldn't ride my bike anymore? What's life going to be like when I'm dead? You know, the kind of thing. I'll often find myself thinking about my bike, usually about what needs fixing. But sometimes I can just find myself reflecting on its deceptive simplicity, on how this mechanism and I have become conjoined, united in motion, me and my machine. And that leads me to ask myself, what is it that makes a bicycle? For most people, it's all about the frame. The frame is the soul of the bike. It's the frame that lends the bicycle its identity and continuity over time. If you took off all the bits and pieces, the handlebars, the pedals, the chain and all the rest, and you replaced them with new components, even if you sprayed the thing a totally new colour, as long as the frame's the same, it's the same bike as it was before. But what does a bicycle frame actually do? What's its function? A bike journalist friend of mine once told me that a frame it's just the thing you need to keep the wheels in the right place. And if you think about it, it's true. Maybe it's not the frame after all, but the wheels that make a bicycle a bicycle. In the early days of the bicycle, people didn't obsess about frames like they do now. They sang the praises of the wheel. Much more technological development went into refining the wheel, making it lighter and stronger and more comfortable to ride, then went into making better frames. The wheel came first, then the frame. Perhaps because of this, the early cyclists called themselves wheelmen and referred to their machines as wheels, not bikes. In the 1890s, John Foster Fraser wrote a book about his journey circumnavigating the globe by bicycle. He called it Around the World on a Wheel. I'm Jack Thurston, and this week on The Bike Show, it's all about the wheel. I'm going to be learning how a wheel is made and trying my hand at it by taking a two-day wheel-building class. But before that, and to find out a little bit more about bicycle wheels and what makes them so special, I went to visit Professor Mark Miodovnik. He reminded me that wheels have a long history, going way back to the Stone Age, when people first started using rotation as a way of moving stuff around. I mean, rotating things are a really big step forward and you have rotating logs, which, which I guess probably our ancestors discovered quite early on as a good way of moving things around. And then once you have a log, maybe you put a bit 
of a fatter bit on each end, and now you have an axle and some wheels. So I guess the wooden and the stone bits of wheels were probably around for a hell of a long time. But the problem with them is they're really, any kind of monolithic construction is heavy, and that's, there's a lot of inertia. So anyone who could have made a wheel that was lighter suddenly had much faster, nippier chariots, carts. But of course the downside was they broke easily, you know, because they were light and they were less, you know, tough. And then the, the big step forward was wheelwrights putting this iron coating on the outside. So, it, you know, they, were, they managed to get these iron rings, which they put around the outside of the wood, and they really toughened them up and give them a reinforcement. But still, at the heart of it, you had these wooden connecting rods right to the axle. In this kind of old school wheel, everything's being pushed together. So the weight of the vehicle is pressing down on the wheel, which is then pressing down onto the ground. Yeah, right. the whole thing's about compression. So if you compress everything in, then lots of materials are quite strong under compression. Wood, strong, stone is strong. So when did the idea come to have a spoke as a wheel instead of a chunk of wood? Is the Industrial Revolution comes along and iron and steel starts to become mass production. So instead of everything being handmade, you're actually having this industrial process creating wire and rod, and people are mucking about with it, and they're realising it's really strong intention, and you can, you can tension a wheel, and then, a bit like string, but this is a much stronger string. I mean, it sounds weird thinking of steel as a bit of string, but that's how they're using it. The spoke is a couple of millimetres across. You can bend it easily. It doesn't seem like it's a strong thing that could support the weight of a heavy person on a bicycle going quite fast with all the forces that are involved with that. What's going on in physics with a spoke under compression? You have these thin filaments, as you say, these tiny millimetre-sized wires, and so most of the mass is gone. So most of, most of your wheel is air, fantastic, so it's really lightweight. The question is, can it, can it take all these bumps? Can it take all the stress? Can it take your weight and, and the weight of hitting a small stone? And, and the answer is this, that this, this material is so strong that it can easily do that. And as it's rotating, it's passing it on to the next one that comes along. So each individual filament can't take your weight and can't take the but they're all, they're all acting together and use them, and they're pulling apart from each other. So it's, it's about balance. That's what's so beautiful about the wheel. It's not just about strength and lightness. It's about balance and, and keeping it absolutely equilibrium. And everyone who, who knows who's ever made a wheel knows that actually the hardest bit is balancing the wheel, making sure that they're all equally pulling in opposite directions. At the level of the molecules, though, what makes a material strong in compression and what makes another material strong in tension? That's the interesting thing. So, so when, you try and, you, when you try and break something, there's two ways of breaking it. Either a crack forms and two bits of the material sort of shear away from each other into two halves, or it flows. Now, um, in the case of stone and ceramics and concrete and all these sort of things it, the material itself is so hardly bonded to each other that it kind of it can't flow and so it forms a crack and and if you're compressing something and it's forming cracks like in a building or you know brick building or concrete building it doesn't really matter because those those cracks just sit on top of each other and are pushed together but if you, pull them, if you put them under tension, it easily falls apart. That's why concrete's bad under tension, but it's great under compression. But with metal, it can flow. So under tension, it doesn't form cracks that easily. Actually, the atoms, they, they actually move past each other. And that means that uh, you can pull metal under tension. It's much tougher. It's much stronger. 
So metal is the, is, is the material that opens up all these possibilities. It's strong under tension. And so until metals were really mastered, you know, this is the late 19th, early 20th century, in terms of their production and their strength, then you couldn't really use these mechanisms because they, everything had to be under compression. And are all metals equal as a strong material under tension? You don't see many aluminium spokes around, but you see a lot of steel spokes. You start to see carbon fibre, so polymer, reinforced polymer spokes. What's going on there? Metals are not, they're not just about one property. It's not just about strength under tension, let's say. It's also the stiffness and, of course, their stiffness to weight ratio. <laughs> and uh, so you want things to be both stiff and strong. And usually aluminium, you know, you can have a thicker bit of aluminium, which will be as strong as a steel, but it won't have the same stiffness. So, so you're trading off different bits for different materials. Um, those, te- those, those tend to be the two materials that compete. And, of course, carbon fibre is brilliant because it's extremely stiff and strong and lightweight. So uh, it's ultimately the best material, um, but it's very expensive. But not all metals are equal, and, and that's really been one of the great triumphs of the 20th century, which is you know, things like titanium, you know, working out h- how different metals can be hardened, how they can be toughened, how you can fiddle around with them to make them the optimum properties for bicycles. And so what's going to be the best material if you could have any material you want to build a bicycle wheel? Well, I'm looking forward to the carbon nanotube bicycle wheels of the future. Now, this is a material that is so light, strong and stiff that you could make, you could make filaments uh, and spokes that were almost invisible and it would still hold your weight. So you'd have a wheel that looks like there were no spokes. There'd be hairs, tiny hairs, but it'd be fine. Before getting carried away with the idea of carbon nanotube wheels, I figured it was probably worth starting with the bog standard wheel with steel spokes. Arriving at the slick headquarters of Cycle Systems Academy down by the canal in Islington, I tried to remember everything I knew about bicycle wheels. It didn't take long because it didn't amount to much. Although my toolkit does contain a spoke key, which is said to be useful for fixing a buckled wheel, I'd never actually used it and I'm not quite sure I know what to do with it if I did need it. As for actually building a wheel from scratch, that seemed more than a step too far. So with my confidence at an all-time low, I took my place among the other students and listened as Ben, our instructor, began to talk us through the process of taking a hub, a rim and some spokes and turning them into a wheel. Spokes to begin with. One black one because the black is, we know is for the drive side because it's slightly shorter. And from the outside of the hub, poke it through any hole. Nice and simple, yeah. Then with the rest of the black spokes, you then want to put one from the same side in every other hole. Yeah. Okay, there you go, look. There you go, start yours. Not every hole. Don't fill every hole, just every other hole. to kind of look down at where the spoke comes into the hub and then look at the opposite side of the flange 
and you'll see that kind of falls between, if you line up, falls between two holes. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah? Take one of your silver spokes, so your non-drive, can you see that? If you look at it, if you look through the spoke, it's like between two holes, yeah? Yeah? Maybe a little bit more, so, so that rim basically needs to go down a bit to bring that closer to the lock nut. So another half turn on the drive, if you can get it on there, because they're getting quite tight. Yeah, and if you couldn't, what would you have to do? You'd have to loosen these a little bit. To let it, let it yeah, come up a bit. But I would try and put a tiny bit more on the drive side, and that's going to be spot on. So just quickly run round, do that, quarter, quarter turn, if that, and then just check it, recheck it with a wag tool. And if you're happy with that, then you start this As the day wore on and we began to have a go for ourselves, the veil of mystery that surrounds wheel building began to slip. It was as simple and as complicated as following a routine. And it's a routine with two distinct phases, lacing and tensioning. The first phase, lacing, is a bit like basket weaving. It's all about selecting spokes of the correct length, then lacing them through holes in the hub and screwing them onto the rim, following an exact pattern. Once the wheel has been assembled, or laced, the spokes then need to be tightened so that the forces of compression can hold the weight of the bike and the rider. This phase, tensioning, is more like working with a piece of clay at a potter's wheel. It's all about making methodical micro-adjustments, changing the tension of the spokes so that the rim is not only perfectly round, but perfectly flat, and also perfectly centred relative to the hub. At the end of the first day, I'd built my first wheel, and to my enormous surprise, it was looking pretty good. The next day was spent doing it again, and again, and again, to get faster and more accurate and more confident in the whole process. I went your toe bone connected to you, foot bone, your foot bone connected to you, heel bone, your heel bone connected to you. Ankle bone, your ankle bone connected to you. Leg bone, your leg bone connected to you. Knee bone, your knee bone connected to you. Thigh bone, your thigh bone connected to you. Hip bone, your hip bone connected to you. Back bone, your back bone connected to you. Shoulder bone, your shoulder bone connected to you. Neck bone, your neck bone connected to you. Head bone, now hear the word of the Lord. Them bones, them bones gonna walk around them bones. My name is Ben Drew and I'm a recent instructor for Cycle Systems Academy in London. Why is there all this mystery about wheel building? Is it really a dark art? It certainly takes a lot of practice. The broad principles of lacing a wheel, true and tensioning, are fairly simple and straightforward. It's a question of developing the right skills, the right feel and having the experience of doing lots of wheels uh, over a period of time so that you can make a really nice job of it. A well-built, hand-built wheel is always going to be stronger, more reliable and more robust than a, a cheap off-the-shelf wheel. Why do you think it does have this reputation for, for, for mystery? 
and magic? Probably because it's easy to get wrong. You lace it wrong, it's not going to have the strength, the spokes aren't going to be the right length, depending on what combination you're using, and it takes time and patience. Be very methodical about what you do, always start and finish in the same place so that you know in terms of as you're increasing the tension, you're putting even tension throughout the spokes. Uh, It's also a question of knowing how much to pull a rim over if there's a buckle in it, uh, in terms of, you know, how much is one turn of the spoke key going to actually produce in terms of moving the rim? Do I do two spokes together? Do I just do one spoke together? Depending on how bad the buckle is or how much you need to pull it over. So there's a lot of things you have to remember, but for me it's really a question of being methodical, keeping an eye on where you are in the process. Um, Yeah. And so as a teacher and instructor here at Cycle Systems Academy, do you see trepidation amongst the students when they come to this part of the course? Because obviously I'm just doing the two days for wheels, but there's other people who are doing everything else. Is, is, do they feel, oh my God, it's wheels? Very much so. And I think that's uh, some of the, the magic, the black art, as you say, that uh, you know, people have the impression that wheels are very, very difficult. Yes, it's, it takes time to learn to do it well, but it's not that difficult. But a lot of people come into this sort of environment thinking, crikey, wheels, that's got to be complicated. I'm never going to be able to do that. But as you've seen, with a couple of days training, it's surprising the results you can get. Because we are here at lunchtime on the second day, and by the end of the first day, I had made a wheel which was round, and I felt like, wow. I mean, you were offering pretty clear step-by-step instructions, and if you're a good listener, you know, it's reasonably easy to follow those. What makes a wheel that, that I made different from, you know, a wheel that you might make, having made hundreds of wheels? It's really a, a question of tolerances, and the more often you build the wheels, the smaller the tolerances you can get. So generally within the industry, um, side-to-side movement, you know, really that's got to be down to a minimum, particularly if you're running rim-operated brakes. The up-and-down movement, so you want to get it as circular as you can. That's very important. Um, And then the dish, which is basically making sure that the rim is central over the hub, that again is very important. As long as your dish and your up-and-down are within one millimetre, that is your, your industry tolerance, They say one millimetre for side to side as well, but I like to get it almost completely true, particularly if you're running rim brakes, because you can set your brakes up really nice and close to the rim to give you a good feel at the lever and power at the lever um, without the danger of the rim actually scuffing the side of the brake blocks because it's actually wobbling from side to side a little bit. But there are people who are renowned as wheel builders, you know, not just bike mechanics. Why do you think they have got that reputation? People like Harry Rowland down in um, Ramsgate, for example. I think it's mainly because the the, the quality of the build they do. You know, they're always very, very high quality builds in terms of the tension in the spokes is always very even. The tolerances are are, are right on there. Um, They use decent quality components, which makes A, the job easier, but B, the wheel lasts longer. And therefore, they have a reputation that develops from people who buy wheels, you know, the wheels that last, last the customer, you know, a good four or five years, maybe longer. They'll tell their friends, you know, I've had this set of wheels, I've never had a spoke go on me. They've stayed pretty much true for all that time. 
and that helps to reinforce a will builder's reputation. And so going around all of us students, looking at how we've been struggling with it, what are the things that have surprised you, you know, that, that, or the things that you say, oh, well, they're having trouble getting that, or that's the bit where they fall down? What are, the, what are, the obs- what are your observations of us? I think the hardest thing is, is in terms of what you and the other students have been dealing with is, is actually getting the up and down, the egg shape, you know, eliminating the egg shape to the rim. That's generally the hardest because sometimes you have to adjust it from the opposite side of the rim. Uh, but in terms of, uh, of side-to-side movement and dishing, I've been very pleasantly surprised. The quality of, of the wheels that you've all made this morning, I'd be happy to ride any of them. But... The moment of truth comes this afternoon because there is an assessment. Tell us about the assessment. The assessment will basically be following what we've done this morning but under exam conditions. Therefore, you're going to be expected to build a wheel of good quality in terms of the trueness, the dishing, the up and down movement, uh, but also within time constraints. So within the industry, you know, rear wheel, you should be able to build one in 45 minutes. We're going to allow you 60 so you get a little bit of breathing space. Um, and that's really because you're, you're quite new to the wheel building scene. Well, we have 10 minutes to go until the assessment. I'm just going to go around and ask uh, my fellow students how they're, how they're feeling. How are you feeling? Are you confident that this is this collection of spokes here? Hear them on the table. The nipples, this rim and that hub are going to be a wheel that you could ride away in at the end of today. Absolutely, I do hope so. <laughs> what have you found interesting and challenging about, about the two days that we've spent on wheels? It, it's debunked a lot of myths for me. I mean, wheel building is seen as a black art, something that only Jedis can do. And uh, in actual fact, with decent instruction and some honest experience tips, it's, it's not as difficult as it first looks. What did you find most tricky that you've got to keep in that sort of at the forefront of your mind for the assessment that, that we're just about to do the initial lesson i think is the hardest bit the tension comes with practice um, and once you've got the wheel in the jig nothing can really go too drastically wrong but if you don't tension it correctly in the first place you, you're on a hard into nothing really and compared to other bike maintenance tasks do you think it's an enjoyable one building a wheel very much so as long as you can be left alone to concentrate with it I think that it's, uh, it's something you can really get into. Well, the actual lacing of it is once you've got the first couple of spokes right, it's not too difficult. Um, it's more the getting it tuned to the, the finest millimetre that is uh, yeah, slightly, slightly nerve-wracking. <laughs> Thankfully, we get two retakes, so uh, yeah, it's more than I got at A-levels. Coming into the course, was wheel building something that you felt trepidatious about or intrigued by? I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. Um, I just thought wheels went round and, and that was it. So when they start talking about wheel building, I thought, oh, I'm going to learn quite a lot here. And I have learned a lot, but it's just very, very fiddly and very, very intense um, and not something that you take on lightly. Enjoyable, though? Very enjoyable, yeah, very enjoyable. And you learn a lot, but it's it's pretty intense because... In a bike shop, they expect you to do it in an hour. Um, and we're going to be doing it in an hour as part of the assessment. I don't know whether that's going to happen. Okay, to share your thoughts. My thoughts are uh, complicated very, very much at this moment. I'm probably at the bottom end of the scale um, of wheel building. Uh, and uh, it's, um, it's a difficult job on its own.
you know, and to be assessed now is even more difficult. So I find it pretty, you know, um, hard to look around and see other people at different standards, like, you know. Um, although it's not a tricky business, but you need to do it one or two times at least, at least to get the hang of it. And the trick is, I suppose, uh, with, with everything else, is getting the right pieces in the right place at the right time. And once it all fits in that way there, it makes sense. You could probably get three quarters of the way through and then realise you've made a silly mistake. But actually you could undo that mistake quite simply, I think. Like, But it's actually having that eye detail to look at it and make sure it is correct. But no, me personally, I find it very difficult right now. Can you put your finger on why you find it difficult? What, what are the pitfalls that you're, that you're pitfalls, grappling with? Uh, the pitfalls are making sure you've got the lacing correct because you could go right way through to the uh, end part of the, um, the lacing process and it could be incorrect. And therefore, under that time constraint, under the assessment, you know, you've then got to undo the lacing in order to redo it all again. I suppose if you're in your own workshop and doing it under your own time, then it wouldn't really be a big problem because you could physically look at it, see it was out of shape, and then redo it again yourself. So it is only a process of elimination, but, you know, time is always a good thing to look at to make sure you get it all right. So I guess the thing that I'm thinking about is how important it is to get it right the first time and take it slowly because mm. there is time but not make mistakes because once you make a mistake you spend time making that mistake but then you spend time un, you yeah. know, undoing it all fixing yeah. that mistake and then you start again and, and you right, probably yeah. got all flustered yeah. in that point and you probably make yourself more likely yeah. to make the mistake or a different mistake again yeah there's a simple process isn't there you know the elements that you've got there um, build up the wheel itself um, it, it's the, the the process of getting it in the right order if you don't get it in that right order you're going to make a mistake like can't you so that's it After an hour of intense concentration during the assessment, my wheel was finished with just a couple of minutes to spare. Ben came around to measure it all with an eagle eye. And the verdict? I'd passed. In just two days, I'd learned enough to start building my own bicycle wheels. If I can do it, anyone can do it. Cycle Systems Academy runs regular wheel building courses as well as all kinds of courses for bicycle maintenance. My thanks go to Sean and Julia Lally for inviting me onto their course and to the instructor Ben Drew. You can find out more about the courses at cycle-systems.co.uk and Professor Mark Miodovnik's new book Stuff Matters is out very soon and available at all good bookshops. You've been listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. 
I'm Jack Thurston, and until the same time next week, goodbye. What goes up must come down. Spinning wheel, got to go round. Talking about your troubles, it's a crying sin. Ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel spin. You got no money and you got no home. Spinning wheel, all alone. Talking about your troubles and you never learned. Ride a painted pony, let the spinning wheel turn. Did you find a directing sign on the straight and Pony, let the spinning wheel ride. Someone is waiting just for you. Spinning wheel. Painted pony, let the spinning wheel ride. Let it ride. Let it ride. Resonance of M. 104.4. The first radio. It was a box with the cat's whiskers. Well, it's a little glass tube on top of the box. And to get the station, you had to twiddle a wire on this end here against a crystal in there, and that would change the station. But there was always a fight, because everybody wanted... There was only one set of earphones.